Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD throughout the show. You can always email us radio at agphd.com as well. I'm Darren Hefty here along with my brother Brian. We're always excited on Friday. Brian, Friday, well, Friday's always been my favorite day of the week, but on Farmer Friday, that's pretty fun too to get lots of questions. Well, I don't know. When you love what you do, then Monday is often the favorite day of the week. So personally, I like Mondays a lot of times because I enjoy talking agronomy every day. And I I guess as we get into spring, especially when I see a lot of fields that, you know what, they're fit today. So we're going to start doing field work. I'm certainly hoping next week doing some tillage and uh, start planting the following week. So we'll see how things go. All right. Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right. Get this one from Dan up in Ontario. He said, I'm growing some conventional soybeans for the first time this season. I'm looking looking for advice on herbicide program. I've heard you talk a lot about your 3-pre program, and my only concern is I want to rotate to alfalfa and timothy hay next year, which I would seed in April or early May 2022. I'm worried about the residual of some of these herbicides potentially impacting alfalfa and perennial grasses. Any thoughts on that? And if so, which ones would you choose? Okay. So for the three pre's, we're always talking about a yellow, metribuzin, and either Valor or Authority. Those are the PPOs. Okay. So metribuzin, there's zero risk. Okay. You have zero risk. That's never going to carry over to next year. PPO, Valor, zero chance that'll carry over to next year. Now, Authority can. Authority could possibly last into next year. Usually the crops that follow authority, we don't have any issue with. But if you want to be in the extra safe side, um, you know, because I'm not worried about alfalfa or Timothy, but if you want to be in the extra safe side, just use Valor instead of authority in that one particular case. Then we get to the yellows. That's where we can have carryover issues depending on the rate and the product you use. Okay, so Prowl will have less carryover than trifluralin. That's the first thing you need to know. Second thing you need to know is the rate absolutely makes an enormous difference. So if you said, well, look, I really want to use trifluralin, the full rate's two pints. We always tell people just go a pint and a half so you don't have a big carryover risk. And by the way, I mean, a tiny little bit of carryover would never hurt the alfalfa anyway. It would just be the Timothy or whatever grass you're talking about out there. So if I was going to use trifluralin, I would cut that rate back even farther, maybe to a pint. If I was going to use Prowl, well, I don't typically worry about carryover. If you want to be on the extra safe side, cut back from three pints to two, or depending on if, let's say you're using Prowl H2, I'll cut back from two and a half pints to one and three quarters or one and a half pint or something like that. Do that, and then you shouldn't have any risk. All right. Thanks for the question. Get this one from Wendell. He said you were talking about white clover as a weed of the week, and I just wanted to share this, that clover really kills the grass that you try to grow every time I've seen it. It's the worst weed that you can have on a grass lawn, and uh, I agree with you, Wendell. I would encourage everyone, if you've got clover out in your lawn, we hear people saying, well, why don't you seed some clover and intermix that in with your lawn grass? Number one, you can't control the other weeds because about anything you'd spray or put on with the weed and feed to try to kill weeds would damage the clover. And then the other thing, yeah, you're right. The clover just kind of takes over and spreads. That's been my experience too. Would you agree, Brian? Yeah, we don't like clover. I mean, 
here again almost every depends day. Depends on your purpose. Right. Depends on your purpose. So I, I shouldn't say we don't like white clover. White clover may be a beneficial plant for you. And in that case, it's great. But if you're trying to gra- raise a great grass lawn and all you want out there is grass, we would suggest going out with 2,4-D. Some people will use dicamba, but I never, ever recommend that in lawns. too dangerous. Uh, but what I would use in this particular case would be mesotrione for lawns. So Tenacity would be the name of the product. It's the same thing as Callisto. Okay, uh, That will do a good job. There is also Drive. So that, that product isn't bad on clover. It's more of a, a crabgrass product, but, but it at least does have some activity on clover as well. So you got a few choices there. My favorite would be the Tenacity. All right, thanks for the question. Got this from Jimmy, and he said, uh, you guys talk about cover crops a lot. I used to plow in my cover crops, but last year I went no-till, and I had winter rye and vetch out there for my cover, and I no-till planted corn in, and I noticed a difference in my soil. I'm really hooked on doing it this way. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for, for sharing that. I know we get a lot of questions about cover crops, and some things that people are doing in one part of the country are not working in others. Exactly. And so it's it's good to talk to folks in your area, see who's having success and try to emulate that and then modify from there. Exactly. We really encourage you don't listen to something you heard on this show that's in a totally different part of the world from you and say, well, it worked over there. It must work for me. The example I always give is these people that want to raise, or I should say, let their cover crops grow right into the spring and then plant right into standing live cover crop. Okay. That does work in a lot of areas and it's great. It's, It's a way to prevent any leaching of nitrate down into the groundwater. I mean, it holds the soil in place. There are so many good things. But the problem is if you do it in the wrong area, like let's say you're in central South Dakota and you get eight inches of rainfall in a year, in a really dry year, okay, you're you're going to raise diddly squat for a crop. And never forget, the growing a great cover crop is never the number one goal. It, it, I mean, the number one goal here is we've got to raise a great cash crop. Otherwise, we're out of business as farmers. So just make sure that the cash crop comes first, second, and third. And the cover crop is something else that can be very beneficial. But if you do it incorrectly and hurt your cash crop, that's a bad, bad, bad thing. And we do not want that. Nope, that's right. You got to keep, got to keep the priorities set. Um, you know, we get so many questions in here for the Ag PhD Mailbag. We'll try to get through a bunch of the questions as we go on with today's program. It's Farmer Friday on our show today. Our phone lines will be open at eight four four forty four Ag PhD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. Whatever works for you to uh, to talk about what's happening on your farm. No planting is getting going in some parts of the country. We'd love to hear from you if you're already out in the fields. If you're still working in the shop, getting that planter ready to go, uh, I'd love to hear you hear about that as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. 
Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got our friend Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG on right now. Tony, I get, got two things going on, and I'm curious, are you more interested in talking about planters? Are you more interested in talking about grain bins? Because obviously there's a lot of change right now as we move into April. The... Uh Actually, both are good topics. I am uh, inundated with planter conversations right now uh, with uh, with our closing wheels and busy moving them around. Uh, and I talk with a few people about their bins also, so I can talk about either. Okay, talk, uh, talk to us about the germinator closing wheels because I, I think, too, the planting is the pressing thing. Guys, guys have got the shop uh, filled up right now. They're trying to put those finishing touches on the planter, and this is one of the things that we see where, yes, you get the front part of that planter unit working well, but if we don't do a good job closing things back up, we're going to have uneven emergence and disappointing performance. Yes, I'm having a lot of conversations with people on the on the closing wheels, obviously. One of the things that I tell people that uh, the way I was always trained going back and looking at a furrow is scrape from the, uh, the top down. Actually, the way I thought I learned the most was to get like a shovel and dig clear across it and dig in from the end. So then you can see what kind of a job you're doing on collapsing the air out of there and that seed soil contact. Dig through in that way and... and not necessarily looking for the seed. That gets a little difficult looking for the seed cutting in lengthways, but sure gives you an image of how well you're squeezing that soil together down at the bottom of that furrow. So I've been having a few conversations with guys like that. We've had a few people comparing our wheels with others, and uh, that's the way ours firms that, that soil at the bottom. I tell them, do that dig it down through and then dig lengthways along and look at how much air you're collapsing out when you're comparing the two. Uh, and whether they're looking at how they're setting their planter or they're looking at uh, the performance of what they've got, I think that's a good way to, to look for the seed-soil contact and the compression of the soil and the lack of air. 
You know, that's a great point, Tony. I, I encourage people to do more digging behind the planter, and I, I understand what you're saying. When you just dig right down the row and just see, okay, here's a seed. I should find another seed six inches later or whatever planting population you're running, and just looking to see if that spacing is about right. But really, and that is important, and, and I would continue doing that, but I'd also do some digging like Tony's saying. So going across that furrow, that way you can – can make a cut and they can start working your way up so you can see exactly how that soil is formed around the seed. Getting that excellent seed to soil contact is exactly what it takes to get great emergence in your field. Now, Tony, what do you see different? So give me one minute here about the germinator closing wheel. How are you doing it a little different? Because last year we had wet soils for a lot of guys. This year we're hearing a lot of guys talking about dry soils. Well, the first thing is whatever field they're pulling into they've got to go back and look you can't just think of how the planters set and i'm going to go uh, go start rolling every every field every soil condition every tillage condition you need to go back and look how that planter is behaving right now and look at it in in terms of the uh, how our wheels work compared to others that's a that's a, a good question the, uh, I always tell people to envision it like this. If you take your thumbs and you point them at each other, and then you've got your fingers pointing in a V but not touching at the bottom, if you can envision that pushing down into the soil, it kind of cups that soil between those two points, pinching it together from the sides, and that's what the spikes do. When they go in, they make the ground squirt into the furrow. Then the, uh, that additional shoulder that we've got on our wheel firms down over the top, so those two components squeeze that soil and all the air out of that soil uh, right out to give you the best seed soil contact. And that's where one of the things, if you look where you're not doing a quality job, you're going to see more of a crumble there. You'll see more airspace. And, you know, the worst thing you can have is you've got a uh, airspace in there with a seed laying in the middle of it. That just isn't going to work. You know, you're just not going to get the moisture wicking to that seed. And getting that thing started, and that's going to take a rain to get that thing going. And uh, you want a good soaking rain that's going to last for a few days to get it going right. Yeah, yeah, that's so, for sure. Well, the other thing I like, Tony, about about the germinator closing wheel is we just don't see the spikes kicking seed out like we do with some of the others with the uh, with the longer spikes. Uh, there's a lot lot to look at there. You can check out what Tony's talking about here at farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thanks for joining us. Good luck here. I know you're going to be busy. Thanks. You have a great day. Thanks. You Bye. bet. You too. Uh, let's head out to North Carolina. we got Josh with us out there. He's an agronomist. Josh, how are you doing? I'm great. How about you guys? Pretty good. How are things going out in uh, North Carolina up into Virginia? So, uh, actually, it's funny. You guys were just talking about dry soil, you know, focusing on uh, planting in dry soil. We're, we're, we're actually pretty wet right now, fin- finally drying up, but... Uh, we had one of the wettest winters we've had. Uh, very little land prep done, and been kind of late getting our getting our lime out. Uh, kind of behind the eight ball. We, we usually, you know, target planting in northeast North Carolina, southeast Virginia. You know, first week of April, and it's it's going to be at least then until we get planting. 
Yeah, wet wet is certainly a challenge at planting time. And, you know, where we're at, we look at, man, we're normally dry. So if we get some moisture in the spring, we're usually pretty happy because at least we can get a crop started. But if you can't even get in the field, that's just no fun. What are you seeing with the crop mix this year with the way the crop prices have been? Good question. And uh, in a lot of situations in our area, it's, you know, with the specialty crops such as peanuts, tobacco, cotton, uh, all those haven't actually shaken out yet. We we still have growers that haven't quite made their mind up on seed and uh, still still some decisions to be made there. But I've got a feeling uh, that, you know, looking at everything, we're probably going to be close to, to where we have been as far as crop mix. Most guys recognize, you know, rotating, uh, the importance of rotating crops for, you know, nematodes, disease, that kind of thing. So, I think it'll end up shaking out, you know, about the same. Cotton may be up slightly, uh, but for the most part, it's going to be status quo. All right. You mentioned the nematodes, and I know that's one that is tough to manage, and for a lot of growers, they don't see them. What are you doing in the, the nematode management strategy? Is it simply crop rotation? Are you finding some treatments that are making a difference? No, we're um, we're we're – we're trying to manage them with rotation, like you said, uh, resistant varieties in soybeans. Uh, we're, you know, using, you know, using some countering corn. Uh, vellum actually has a label in corn this year. Uh, so we've got some guys going to be looking at that. Um, we actually, in our, in our tobacco, some in, some in peanuts and uh, especially sweet potatoes, uh, they're going to fumigate those acres. Uh, with usually with Telon. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Another question for you. So you've got a longer growing season than we've got here in the, in the West. What do you do with that season? Do you like to plant an earlier corn early? Do you like later maturing corn up front? How, how does a double crop situation work in your area? Usually they will start with the earlier corn up front. Um, and, and we're in the same situation as you guys. You know, guys have got bigger equipment. Uh, they're able to get more more done in less time. So we've really emphasized spreading those maturities out. So, you know, 15 years ago, it, it might take you uh, 10 days, 14 days to plant your crop. And, and in this day and time, you can plant it in four or five days. So spreading those maturities out, you know, we'll, we'll typically go from, on the really early side, a hundred day, uh, hybrid up to 120 day hybrid. Um, we, we actually have a much bigger variance in that on soybeans where especially crops where have guys that wouldn't leave those beans in the field. So they're playing up to a group seven maturity. And then you have guys that are strictly grain farmers that are going to go in and plant indeterminate soybeans, late threes, early fours. Wow. Wow, yeah, that's that's a lot to manage when you've got all those choices. But like you say, if you've got a specialty crop in the mix or a double crop situation coming up, uh, you got some opportunities there to make some profit and and also to spread out your workload. Hey, Josh, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Hopefully, hopefully you guys catch some more sunshine here heading into planting season. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, 
with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines group 14 and group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void where prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Back in listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. Pat from Wisconsin had called in and said, don't use wastewater treatment sludge in your fields. There's too many heavy metals and harmful chemicals. We've been talking about that all through the week. We've had a few different calls about that. And, you know, it is important. Anything you're going to put on your fields, whether it's water, whether it's manure, whether it's wastewater sludge, uh, lime, whatever, just get it tested find out what's in there because you're exactly. gonna put a lot of pounds out there so make sure you know what you're getting right so to make a blanket statement don't use it uh, i i will just put it this way i'll use it i'll happily use it as long as it tests out okay so and in terms of heavy metals a few heavy metals are not going to hurt anything there there are limits to that and we we talk about that at our soils clinics so any anyway to say that 
people should not be using wastewater treatment sludge. Uh, we, we're going to disagree on that. But we are going to say make sure you test it, make sure you use it in moderation. And yeah, if there was something like super harmful in there, then we don't want you to use it. But I just, I don't see it. The dose always makes the poison. All right. Thanks for the comment. Really appreciate that, Pat. We got John with us right now over in Illinois. John, how are you doing today? Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm doing a heck of a lot better than that captain of that ship in the Suez, I'll tell you that right now. That does not look like (laughs) a good deal at all. Hey, uh, we were talking about double crop with Josh out in North Carolina. What about in Illinois, and what, what are you thinking about doing different? Well, I'm thinking, uh, had somebody from out of state almost recommend me try to double crop sorghum after winter wheat harvest. And I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. You know, I'm a little far north to double crop beans successfully. Well, maybe this year, maybe some guys will try it because maybe they'll get 20 bushel the acre and might pencil out. But I don't know. It, it says we usually harvest a little after the 4th of July where I'm located at. And uh, there's a couple of maturities that I've been looking at. They've got a half bloom at 54 days. I don't know. Do you do you think that would be something that would be worth trying? Obviously, I wouldn't want to plant the whole farm in it. But what do you what do you think about that? Well, I think that's certainly a possibility. And you know, there are a lot of crops out there that would would be considered short season crops. So we got to look at that number one that yes you do have options number two is you know and i didn't know if you were talking grain sorghum or forage sorghum but here's the thing there are some crops out there that let's say they don't make it or it looks like ooh, i don't think we're going to get grain out of this but you could get some forage out of that and so i don't know if that's an option or something you were thinking about as well even for these people that want to raise what they call cover crops well if you hay it you bale it you graze it that's not a cover crop anymore that's now an actual cash crop because the livestock got uh got financial benefit out of that so i mean there are certainly options because i I understand where you're coming from you get done with your winter wheat and you go wow i got a whole bunch of growing season left here and i got all this expense in my land maybe there's something i can do with it i understand is that is the sorghum thing worth a try it's certainly worth it. You just have to look at what's your market and and how could you make that work. In terms of the risk of being able to raise a crop, our biggest concern in our geography is always, okay, after winter wheat, how much rain are we really going to get? Because we sucked a lot of moisture out. Do we have enough rain to raise a second crop? Well, you're in Illinois. You get twice the rainfall we do, so that's a lot less of a concern. And then the other thing would be just how do you fertilize that? Well, I mean, you got to fertilize a little more if you're going to raise a second crop, but it's not like it's that difficult. I was almost thinking about playing on thirties and just hitting it with a wide drop machine, almost like you would for corn, you know, just to give it that little extra boost. You, um, yeah, and, and you certainly could. So we have, on the sorghum we've raised on our farm, yes, we have put some nitrogen on later. It's just coming out of winter wheat, I don't know how much nitrogen there is going to be left. With wheat, the nitrogen that there is late in the season often goes into the protein. It'll go into the yield, but then it'll also go into the protein. So a lot of times coming out of wheat, there isn't a lot of nitrogen there. So I'm just saying, don't make sure you don't short yourself right away. The sorghum does need some nitrogen right away. So if you've sucked oh, yeah. it all out, just make sure you get some on. But yeah, you can absolutely put more on later. No problem. 
Okay. All right. All right, Joan. Well, well, thank you very much, and uh, keep out of the Suez Canal. <laughs> we'll do our best. All right, thanks, John. See you. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, Brian. Uh, we get a lot of different questions here. This one is about a, a crop we don't talk about, and I, I don't really personally have any experience with. This is from Matt in central Pennsylvania. He said, can you give me some tips on growing high-yielding buckwheat? I know it's not a common crop, but where do I even start? What kind of trials could I set up to to help me figure out how to do a better job at this going forward? You know, one of the things that I'd say, Matt, and we, we talk to growers of lots of different crops. We we talk a lot about soil fertility and yep. managing what's going on in the soil, trying to have great soil health, uh, having lots of microbial activity, those types of things. So if we've got some highly productive ground that works well for any crop, it, it should work just fine for buckwheat as well. So I would focus on the soil stuff. Now, as far as the above ground management of that crop, everything is going to be easier above ground if you get the fertility piece right, if you take care of compaction, if you allow that root mass to expand the way it wants to, you're going to reduce stress on that crop. So that would be a good place that I, I know we could we could definitely help you with that in terms of balancing fertility. If you had soil samples that you sent in, we could give you some tips on that. Yeah, I don't know if there's any university in particular that has a bunch of information out there about buckwheat production. But I will say... Uh, since it's not a major crop, there's certainly not as much information out there as you're going to find about crops like corn, soybeans, and wheat. Even on our Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, we were able to find NP and K use, but I don't know exactly what buckwheat needs for micronutrients. So anyway, I, I, I don't have a lot of great information for you. I'm sorry. It's you're right. It's not a real commonly raised crop. More often than not, we think about wild buckwheat and we're trying to kill it. That's one of the number one weeds in the state of South Dakota, and it has been a little problematic to control. But anyway, I'm I'm certain there is some information out there for you. Um, we can maybe do a little more looking ourselves, but yeah, you just have to do a little search out there, talk to your university and extension people, and maybe they can help you out. All right, Brian, here's another crop that we don't talk enough about. This one is from Jordan in middle Georgia. He said, guys, love your show. My question today is about pumpkin herbicides. What do you think about dual, clethodim, and reflex? How could I best use those to control weeds in my pumpkins? And I'm trying to see if he says exactly which weeds he's got. No. He said he can spray weeds well, he's in Georgia, tractor. so chances are he's got Palmer pigweed and he's got Palmer pigweed. Yeah, he's got a tractor <laughs> and he's got a three-point hitch sprayer. Okay. So, so dual, clethodim, and reflex, how do you get the most out of those three products? Okay. Well, the dual is a group 15. That's a really good grass killer. That's metallochlor and, yep. for anybody growing other crops. You're going to recognize that name. It's used in a lot of different crops. And anyway, dual has at least some activity on small seeded broadleaves, including Palmer pigweed. Now the reflex, that's going to be the same thing as Flexstar, same active ingredient. So if you're familiar with Flexstar and soybeans, that's what we're talking about with reflex. That's got, again, pretty good activity on a lot of these small seeded broadleaves, including Palmer pigweed. Personally, we like reflex post-emerge, but I don't even know on pumpkins and I haven't, I, Darren just threw this out, so I didn't have the chance to look it up. 
uh, in back, look back at my notes. I don't remember if you can use that post or pre in pumpkins. I don't know. So with dual clethodim and reflex, we're just going to assume they're labeled since you, you asked us. So if they are labeled, make sure before anybody does this, you check the label. But we like dual to be out there as early as possible. We even like it tilled in or at least watered in, and then it will work well. Okay, it's not going to kill anything that's up. Reflex has contact activity and it has residual control. So you can use it either way. In our geography, we can't use reflex twice in a season. Now, in your geography, you could because you have a much longer growing season, much more heat, and much more rainfall. But I don't know what that's going to look like in terms of the pumpkin label. But I'm just saying reflex does have contact and residual. Clethodim only has contact activity and no residual. So three very different products. Clethodim is just good on grass, very, very good on grass. Yeah, the other one to look at is Halo Sulfuron, which would be an ALS herbicide for broadleaves. Permit. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator Spike Design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. 
Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open throughout the show. If you have an agronomic question, we'd love to help. 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got Tony with us right now in central Indiana. Tony, how are you today? Oh, pretty good, Darren. Uh, hey, I got a soybean question. Uh, what's what's the products these high soybean producers are using to uh, stunt or burn the uh, young soybeans to make them branch out or bloom more? Uh, there isn't any one thing necessarily. So there are people that have used Cobra to do that before, and... I don't. A lot of those guys have tried almost everything, Tony. Yes. They've tried mowing off the beans. <laughs> yes. They've tried uh, spraying. Uh, yeah, like Brian said, cobra. Some of these different burner herbicides. They've tried doing it with high rates of nutrients and just burn it that way. Yep. Uh, tried a lot of different things. Here's here's one thing I'll tell you though. This was interesting. So back, uh, it was interesting to me because we tried it firsthand. I don't remember when it was. Five or ten years ago, Kip Colors was up. I don't. I don't remember if he said this at our field day, but I think he said it at a winter meeting and. He said, I'm using Cobra to try and do this, and I'm nervous about telling anybody because my beans get to be taller than me, and I'm six feet tall. And he said, I don't right. think you have that problem in the north where, where we farm in South Dakota. And so he said, I would not try that on your farm. So, of course, what do we do? We have a little 15-acre right. field that we do a lot of trial work in, and Brian's like, let's try it out there and just see what happens. And so we burned the beans off when they were pretty short. Maybe they were six inches tall or something. And and you can't you say know, burn the beans off. We you burn them. We burn them a little fried bit with the cobra. top couple of nodes. Yep, but we did use the full yeah. rate, twelve and a half ounces, and we lost. I don't remember what five bushels on yield. I, so, I don't know. It, it didn't end up actually being that much different than height. Their beans don't get tall like like kips do anyway. I think if we would have had six foot tall beans, we would have noticed a major height difference. But but yeah, it didn't it didn't turn out to be a good thing. As as Kip had warned us, it didn't turn out to be a great thing for us. But we tried it out. Now in central Indiana. I don't know, maybe different environment. So, yeah, if you're going to do it, I'd say try it on a small scale. Very that's small. not That's not a big deal. Most of those guys are just worried they get beans that are too tall because they push so much fertility out there, especially after chicken litter or something like that. They, they just get so much fertility. They get all kinds of growth on the beans, and instead of getting tall, they want those beans to pot out more. So rather than that, what we have seen that will give better success is just to pick a short variety. If you want to, in effect, stunt it a little bit, like they will say, then number one, well, you don't stunt it. You plant it a little bit thinner. Uh, Number two, you plant it earlier. Number three, in terms of an early post spray, you could use something like Warrant Ultra. That's Warrant and Flexstar. That won't give you near the burn that Cobra does, but you might see it shorten the beans just a little bit. So you'll get some bronzing. It's just you're not going to drop a whole bunch of leaves like you would with a very high rate of Cobra. Uh, we have done lower rates of Cobra now with success in our white mold spots. So we've had a, a history of white mold in some of our low grounds, and we will do that now at a half rate of Cobra. And that does 
absolutely help. Cobra has some either fungicidal properties or it may, maybe it just does drop a few leaves off. I, I don't know what, what why it works, but it just does work. So we are going with lower rates and we're doing that right before flowering. Okay. All right. Uh, well, we're, we're going to try something even if it's wrong. See what happens. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let us know how it turns out. All right. Thanks a lot. You bet. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Tony. Tony. Appreciate it. Let's head down to Missouri. You got Danny on with us right now. How's it going, Danny? Good. How are you guys doing today? Not too bad. Are you out in the field yet? No. Right now, we just had another inch and a half rain yesterday, so we are dead in the tracks here. It's going to probably be a couple weeks before we get out in the field. We've got, oh, about half our anhydrous on. The other half we don't have are in the creek bottoms, which we didn't want to just in case it did turn off wet. Like Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I think it's yeah. important. We, I'm glad you said that too. We get a lot of non-farmers that listen and what Danny was saying there is, Hey, we're putting some fertility out there, getting ready for the crop, getting all the plant food in place, but areas that are prone to flooding in case we have a super wet year or things that we just aren't going to be able to get into. We're going to wait till the last minute till we know for sure we're going to have a crop. That's a good practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what we're, we're back up last year. We, we, we switched from corn to beans a little bit earlier than what we wanted to because we did hit a wet spot, so we didn't get all the corn acres we wanted to plant uh, in last year. So we were down probably 15 20% on corn acres last year, uh, which kind of mess, messes up our rotation a little bit. But this year we're, we changed it around a little bit where we got a little bit more corn acres, but not as much for us to get back on our rotation. But uh, we think we're okay with the bean price, we're okay by doing that. Uh, hopefully, unless it gets too late. If it gets too late again, you know, we always want to be planting here by the 1st of April. And if it, if it gets uh, too late, and what we call too late, if it gets down to the last week of May and we hit some wet weather, we will be happy to switch from corn back to beans and go from there and deal with what Mother Nature gives us. Yeah, unfortunately, the only way that you learn those lessons is over the years and having things that work and things that don't. My dad always talked about that, too. He'd say, gosh, experience just means uh, you've learned from your past mistakes. So you had to make some mistakes to get that experience. So, yeah, I'm sorry that you had trouble in the past, but I'm glad that you're you're smart enough to keep track of that and, and use it to your advantage going forward. You're, you're exactly right, because I've heard some people go, well, you know, I, I didn't go to college or you know for this or that oh no you get your education in agriculture and farming <laughs> in a hurry and, and you will remember it yes you will and you will remember because <laughs> you spend the money for your education one way or the other yeah you're exactly yeah that education doesn't come cheap sometimes so here's the other thing my dad would talk about a lot he'd say the difference between farmers who are smart and i'd say right now danny you sound like a smart farmer but he said a wise farmer is one who listens to the smart farmer let him make the mistakes and now hopefully does have that in the first place so it's hard to pull the trigger though when you're switching from one crop to the next especially when you have it in your mind man i really want to have some corn here and we're only a few days late but you sure got to have a cutoff at some point yes you do and and believe me you quickly get over the emotional factor after you fight the mother nature for a few years you learn to switch and roll with the punches and and, of course, it also helps to listen to you and, and uh, Brian there to, to see what's going on and, and help us to uh, navigate the, the troubled waters we run into, too. So 
I'd like to just say thank you for you guys for all that you have done for agriculture. Oh, you bet. You do too. Well, it's it's fun it, getting it getting to talk to folks like yourself all over, and and you, we learn a lot. We we definitely do. Anything agronomically that you'd say is a big challenge going into this year? Any questions still yet to be answered? Well, you know, it, it's always tough. Uh, you know, on on planting, getting too early when the ground's a little bit wet and everything, and. I always just go by sidewall compaction as long as you're not having the smearing on there, unless you guys have a, a more words of wisdom other than, than what else to look for on when you want to, because you don't want to get out in the field too fast. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, Brian, I'll say what I think, and you, you give us your cutoff on what's, what's too wet or too early to be out in the field. I agree with you. If we've got good conditions where I can close the soil around that seed, get good seed-to-soil contact, and not have a whole bunch of compaction issues around it, like you mentioned with sidewall compaction, I, I think I'm in total agreement with you, Danny. That's when I want to roll. And on the early side, if it seems like it's just a couple days too early yet, but the soil conditions are perfect and there's a rain coming up, I like to pull the trigger and get going because I've just found we've got a lot more forgiveness if those soil conditions are fit when we're out there and we usually turn out better. Anything you'd add to that, Brian? No, he's shaking his head at me. He's, he actually might agree with me, Danny, but I just don't think he wants to say that he agrees <laughs> with me. He's trying to keep up his reputation on the show. Yeah. I was going to say, can we verify that with, with an actual voice? <laughs> <on that one? laughs> All right, it's okay. <laughs> I only had I only had thirty seconds. So. No, that's good. Well, Danny, yeah, that thank- really hurts. I know that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks a lot for the call. Really appreciate. It. Hopefully, you guys. Uh, I hate to wish for things to dry out sometimes when we've been so dry the last. Uh, eight months or ten months here, but uh, but hopefully it, it, the sun comes out, field conditions get fit real soon. Yes, I appreciate very much. Hope you guys have a good growing year. You bet. You too, Danny. Thank you so much. It's Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio, and we'll be right back. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday on our show today, and we are taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from Gladys. She said, what does HPPD stand for? I'm only curious. Okay. I know. You hear so, us talk about well, HPPDs all the time. Yeah. I, okay. So first, let me just say, sometimes we try to make things too complicated. In other words, some people wonder, what's the genus and species on this? And what's the active ingredient in that? You know what? I don't really care as a farmer. I just care about, hey, let's get stuff that works, that makes me money, and is simple. So anyway, yeah, we don't go through and, and say what HPPD actually is, which is P-hydroxyphenol uh, pyruvate dioxygenase. And you can understand why we just go with the HPPD abbreviation. But anyway, that's what it stands for. So uh, that is one of the modes, let's see, one of the chemistries that we really like in corn. And by the way, the HPPD, that's group 27, that will whiten plants. Okay, How that was discovered, and this is very interesting for all these people that say, oh, these chemicals are so dangerous and harmful and everything else. And I'm not saying we shouldn't use caution. But I will tell you that a lot of the things are derived from natural products anymore. For example, colistamone tree. There was a Syngenta researcher that had a colistamone tree in his backyard. And he, he just realized, you know, I got weeds all over my backyard except by this tree. Why is that? Is there some substance in that tree that's killing the weeds? And sure enough, that's how they discovered Callisto, which is one of the, well, it is the leading HPPD herbicide in the world. So anyway, I just, I, I just, I find that stuff interesting. There are a lot of things that now are used, and yes, we call them chemicals, but they're derived from natural substances. All right. Thanks for the question, Gladys. We appreciate that. This one comes in from Bruce in Michigan. He said, I enjoyed the Neil Kinsey seminar. It was a lot. 
to process. It absolutely is, Bruce. That's why uh, uh, really happy to have a great big handout and uh, that that Neil Kinsey hands-on agronomy book. If uh, for anybody listening that wasn't at the seminar or hasn't read any of the fertility information from Neil Kinsey, I strongly recommend that hands-on agronomy book. Anyway, uh, Bruce had got a couple of questions. I got a corn soil test I want you to look at and a soybean test. Uh, first of all, the corn test, which he had emailed in here. He said, I'm I'm planning to put corn on this four to six CEC sandy soil, and I can put nutrients on with my strip till at four and a half inches deep, or I can go nine inches deep, or I can split it up. So I'm just kind of curious, the fertilizer dealers I'm talking to, some have expensive starter type products. Do I need a low salt liquid product to put out there at this time in a strip till, or could I use something like 1034-0? Okay, so... What we're generally going to talk about is the low salt products are going to make more of a difference for you the closer you are to the seed. So do you have to go low salt when you're deep down in the ground? No, you don't have to. I mean, there might still be some advantages for you, but you do not have to. Uh, but yeah, if you're going to go buy the seed with very much of a rate, then we really would like you to. Now, whether it's four and a half or nine inches deep, here's the thing. I don't know what your soil test is down deep, but if this is your zero to six inch soil test, um, you need nutrients in your top six inches because you don't have very many. So I'm not that worried about the deep because we don't have the shallow built up yet. On a lot of farms, they do have the shallow built up. So we'll tell them, yeah, put your nutrients down deep because you're already loaded up in the top few inches. All right. So in terms of his soil test, yeah, it's really light ground. I mean, really light. Three to four CEC. That's basically pure sand and 1% organic matter or less. So in that ground, without irrigation, you're going to have a tough time raising a crop in a lot of years. A real tough time. But we do know this. If you have the proper balance of nutrients out there, at least your crop will use less for moisture. Okay, that's just the way it works. Because when your crop starts running short on any one nutrient, it brings in more water, even if right then it doesn't actually need the water. So let's talk about the non-leachables. Things like phosphorus, copper, zinc. I mean, all those are really low. And I'm just saying you could build those up and you wouldn't have to worry that, oh, I'm going to lose them all this year. Now, if it's something like sulfate, boron, nitrate, I mean, you have to worry about losing those this week. I mean, with those, you're going to have to really spoon feed it. So I, I'm talking like probably four or five applications during the course of the year in that pure sand that you're dealing with. And I know that stinks, but I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, potassium, we look at kind of in between. It, it can leach, just doesn't leach super easily. Well, with potassium, your levels are really, really low. You're at 2% base saturation K. And uh, in sand, you need like 10. So you're, you only have... 27 to 37 parts per million of potassium, that's not even enough to raise 100 bushel corn. So you got to put some potassium out early. And I would, we, we wouldn't do this on our farm with our heavy ground and lack of rainfall. But in your case, you need to put some potassium on mid-season or early in the season, whatever, as the crop is growing. So anyway, yeah, it's a challenge when you start talking about that really light soil Unless you have irrigation. And, I mean, if you have irrigation, then you can keep spoon feeding all throughout the growing season. All right. And then uh, on his other soil sample, now if you happen to be at the Neil Kinsey seminar, this is on page 196. He said, doing some soybeans on a little better soil, 7 to 10 CEC. We're broadcasting some mez, potash, KMAG, and micros, variable rating them, and ammonium sulfate as well. Would 
would adding additional fertility at nine inches deep through the strip till also benefit my soybeans? We've been getting about 50 bushels. Would like to get 70. And then he's got one more question after this. So if we go deep with fertility and soybeans, no. our experience has been, we well, like it. Well, yes, we do, but we don't have sand. We don't have as much rainfall as he does. Seven and to ten CEC. we have our, our top few inches really built up. Yeah, I know. And we have we average 20 CEC, so three times heavier. So my point here is, in his case, no, I'm not too worried about putting stuff deep. It's going to get deep already anyway. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about the deep thing. I would worry, however, about getting fertilizer out there. Because here, too, we're looking at really low K levels, uh, I'm just looking for the phosphorus. I'm not familiar with this company's tests. Uh, oh, yeah, phosphorus. You, you Actually, he has some spots where it's not too bad for phosphorus. He even has one spot that's 101 uh, for P1. So that's that's good. But, okay. you know, it's a real challenge in that light sand. Even 7 to 10 CEC, it, we're still going to call that real light. You need irrigation if you want a consistent yield. And, you know, the good chance that you're going to get 70. Could you occasionally? Yes, but it's just hard in that light ground. Okay. Uh, and then last question, you said, I'm trying some natural products. I'm trying Heat Shield and the Alpha Complete Package. And I was considering how should I put those on? I could put them on deeper with the strip till. I could go a little more shallow with the strip till. Or would it be better to just put them in furrow on the planter? You know what, uh, Bruce, with, with those microbes that you're talking about there, the best thing would be to put them in furrow. That's yep. We're actually going to use the same stuff on yep. our farm, and yep. we're putting for it sure. right in furrow. For sure. Hey, thanks for all the questions, Bruce. Thanks for checking out the Neil Kinsey Seminar as well. Good luck this spring. All right, Brian, uh, got, got a plowing question for you. Uh, this one's from Isaac. He said, we got a small farm. It's uh, not not that big, but at the start of our rotation, it would have been hay for about four years. Then we would plow, then disc to smooth it out and plant corn. Then the next year, we'd plow and then disc, harvest, uh, or after harvest, plant oats and hay, crop, alfalfa, clover, all that kind of stuff. And he said, I'm just wondering if plowing always makes sense, uh, especially when we've got four-year gaps in our rotation with the hay crops. <laughs> okay. When you use the word always and farming, um, that's, that's, that's going to be- easy answer. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really hard. I, I don't think there's anything where I, in agriculture, where I would say always do that. Okay. But- yeah, when you're plowing and disking that much, you're going to create some compaction. You're most likely going to lower organic matter levels. So there are some challenges with that. We've been talking here even on the show. I wouldn't mind plowing, and I mean like literally moldboard plowing, once every 10 years, once every 20 years on some of our ground. I'd also like to go very reduced tillage or even no-till, strip-till, whatever, for quite a few years to build up organic matter and things like that. And then it's just the plow to stir it back up again every once in a while, but very, very seldom. So no, we, we aren't going to tell you that plowing always makes sense. We don't feel that you need to go that heavy on the tillage, but all depends on everything else going on in your farm. I mean, we understand there are major advantages to plowing, including your soil is going to be warmer and drier in the spring. And maybe for you, that's a big benefit. 
Hey, thanks, Isaac. Really appreciate the question and and just even thinking about doing something different. Sometimes it's a challenge on the farm. So we love Farmer Fridays where we take your calls and agronomic questions. If you had a question and didn't get it in today, just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.